Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journey. The challenge of an MBA is that you've got five things on your schedule at any given moment, and which of the five are you going to go to, um, which is a great, great uh, problem to have, but it forces you really quickly to say, to figure out what you're actually passionate about and what you care about. I think it's absolutely critically important, and I think this is a real, an area where social business has a, a maybe a competitive advantage against traditional business, because because you have a social mission and you have a mission of not just making money but doing good, people seem to be, at least in my experience, even more willing to help you and more willing to, to come on board. I'm very pleased today to introduce Michael Thornton. Michael is a professional engineer with a background in sustainable infrastructure design and was a Skull Scholar for Social Entrepreneurship at the University of Oxford, where he recently graduated. Michael is Chief Executive Officer of Carbon Analytics, a company that wants to make it easier for companies of all sizes to reap the rewards of managing their environmental impact. He's also involved with Odyssey Sensors, which is developing low-cost environmental technology aimed at bottom-of-the-pyramid producers in developing world agriculture and aquaculture markets and Terra Recovery, a startup working on developing a technology that identifies landfills which can be economically mined for resources. Thank you very much, Michael, for taking the time to speak to us for Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs. And I'd like to talk a little bit about, maybe a little bit about your background and uh, what you do today. So can you tell me how you ended up as a, working as a social entrepreneur? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess it's been a, a long journey for me. I started um, kind of way back in, in grade school. Um, I had a mom who was, was very, very excited about uh, the environment and did a lot of work in that. Um, and then a, a dad who was very, very into business and was working a lot there. And so I've, I've kind of had these, these two worlds, this environmental slash social background as well as a business background. And always been very interested in business as a force for force for good. Um, I kind of saw two two ways to change the world when I was young. One was to to, to teach people how to to do things better and try to convince them that they should take the the good path and recycle and all, and all of that. Um, and then the other one was to to build products and services that just by their very nature are are, are better and green in, in a way, um, n- not quite trick people, but almost trick people into doing the right thing. <laughs> yes. My skill set was was more along the lines of the business side. Um, didn't didn't trust myself to be an educator, uh, as I thought that that was a, a really tough task. Um, so that's, I've been been focused on that ever since. Right, right. And what 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 do you do today? Uh, right right now, I'm the CEO of a company called Carbon Analytics. It's uh, an online platform that helps small and medium sized businesses uh, assess and lower their carbon footprint. And we typically work with um, actually large companies and organizations to um, assess and work with their supply chain of small and medium-sized businesses. Um, and then I'm also on the board of two other um, social enterprises. One is called Terra Recovery, and it's about uh, kickstarting the landfill mining revolution. Um, so trying to go into old landfills and, and find all the great materials and resources that are in there rather than getting virgin materials. And then the second one is called... Um, our third one, I should say, is called Odyssey Sensors, and um, in that company, we're developing very low-cost sensors for the developing world and, and, and lower-income farmers to try to improve their yields and decrease resource consumption. 
Right, right. So one is you're working as a kind of entrepreneur in chief, as it were, and the other is you're part of a team, I suppose, supporting the, the development of the business. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I've the, the CEO role is the main one, and then the other ones I'm essentially was a co-founder, but now operating in more of a, a you know, board position, active activist board member, I guess. Right, right. And, and can you tell me a bit about the Carbon Analytics and how, how you came to set that up? I mean, what stage of development are you today? Sure, yeah, we're, we're, we're still pre-revenue. We're about a year in. Um, we're, we, we, we hope, knock on wood, uh, very close to closing our first um, decent-sized contracts um, to, to do some work for a major UK company. Um, and basically, the, the idea for Carbon Analytics came out of a desire to make a substantial impact on climate change, um, but with a, with a sort of a, a realist view and, and understanding that um, or, or a, a presumption, I guess, that government action isn't going to happen fast enough or intensely enough for the world um, for what it needs. And then also that despite all the great things that education and um, social activism have done, that they they weren't really enough for what we needed uh, to do to do global scale change. Um, I mean, we've, we've been trying to teach people to recycle for 40 years, and, and we're making some good headway you know, on that, that one tiny task, but the task of, of helping people really decarbonize their life is, is both um, daunting and probably unrealistic to, to, to expect. And then I think also just from a, a technical and sort of data standpoint, I mean, even for, for you know, us kind of long time eco people, it can be very hard to decide even basic things like what's better, paper or plastic from a climate perspective. Yes, yes, so, yes. If we can't make these very simple decisions, how can you expect people who aren't versed in it uh, to do that? Right, right. Uh, what is it that's different about what you're offering compared to uh, the companies that are out there doing it at the moment? So, so there's a lot of focus in carbon on big companies and on getting uh, to a very precise number about uh, how much carbon a, a company is responsible for. And that's where we see most of the, the big players, Carbon Trust, uh, CDP, a lot of the consultancies focusing. Um, we, we take a little bit of a different view in, in kind of saying that, you know, the important thing is not necessarily the exact measurement. It's that it's um, actionable and that people are actually paying attention to it and taking action. And so we developed a solution that is much faster and lower costs than the typical consultant-led route. Um, that uses a company's existing accounting data to, to derive a footprint and get them to an actionable point very quickly. And this, this makes it, we think, um, you know, easier for companies and, and allows it to be available to a wider variety of companies, smaller companies who don't have their own CSR department to take on the, you know, the traditional measurement and, and analysis task, but who just want to get something quick, you know, comply with whatever regulation or, or customers who are interested in this and then be able to take action and move on. Right, right, sort of right. The eighty percent solution is good enough, rather than the yes. one hundred percent perfect. <laughs> yes. And uh, what, what, what's your vision for this company? Uh, I mean, where do you see it going? What's where do you want it to go over the next five to seven years? Well, and the, the so the, the the lever that we're trying to play with is the the immense power that companies have as purchasers in the economy. Um, you know, I, I, I one analogy I kind of like to use is that. Um, um, who have the CSR departments and they focus very hard on, on relatively small things like recycling interna internally and changing light bulbs, which, while they're great, it's a bit like the, the human torch, you know, using a, a big lighter to melt an iceberg rather than using the fact that he's completely made of fire and immensely powerful. And so these big companies are doing things internally, but they could have 
have a much, much bigger impact if they were actually working more externally and using their might as a purchaser and the, you know, the millions and billions of dollars that they um, decide where it goes uh, to, to help uh, change climate and change environmental initiatives. And so that's what we're really trying to get companies to do is to be able to say, hey, we're, we're a company, we care about this, and we're going to seek to buy more from suppliers who all other things being evil, same, same quality, same cost, um, can give us a lower carbon product. Right. And that way try to drive some real structural change into the places where it hasn't gotten to, the sort of second tier uh, supply chain type companies, the manufacturers, the, the goods and, and, and service providers who support the, the major front-facing retail companies that you, you typically think of when you think of good green companies. Right, right. And how much do they care about this? I mean, it's a pretty competitive market out there. And I mean, obviously, there's some regulatory factors, but I mean, are you hoping for more than regulatory impact, uh, more than is required by the regulations? What makes you think that people with their busy agendas are really going to go the extra mile to try and, you know, really make change like that? win-win situation. It's a great vision. Can you tell me a little bit about how you went about setting up this business and maybe, uh, probably in fact, about being a scholar at Oxford and what kind of impact that's had on how you see yourself as a social entrepreneur? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so I mean, being a school scholar was was fantastic. It was something I I, I definitely um, lucked into. I, I hadn't heard of social entrepreneurship before I applied to um, to Oxford. I, I knew that I was always very passionate about the environment, passionate about business, um, but just that, that word had never come across across my desk as, a, as an engineer um, uh, before I applied to business school. And so I, I really, uh, I didn't even know what I was applying for. I saw this scholarship. It said social entrepreneurship. And I was like, well, you know, I, I assume that's for people who work in nonprofits uh, or something like that. I didn't know what it was, but I, I, I you know, clicked learn more info just just why not uh, and started to read about it and, it and it was all about people who worked in businesses that are doing good things for the world um, while they're making money and that's exactly what I was doing as a sustainable infrastructure engineer um, and had also started you know helped start a nonprofit. And so 
so this this kind of whole world of social entrepreneurship seemed to be exactly up my alley, and, and a little bit of a, you know, an aha, I found my my clan sort of moment. And so I, I checked the box on the application and got, got very very lucky to to be selected for it. Um, and it was uh, yeah, really 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 helpful to you know to to find out that you know not only is this idea of business and environment um, working together, not only is that um, you know, not crazy, um, but there's actually a whole whole lot of other people who believe in it, um, and who have done a lot of really um, deep thinking about the, the underlying structures and how how does that change what, how a business is set up, how does it change their motivations and goals, and and, and how do you make that that all happen? Um, and that's mm. all the stuff that I got to learn at, at Oxford. Right, right, and it's a traditional MBA, but with a focus on social entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. So so what Oxford had that a lot of the US programs didn't have, and I'm from the U.S. Obviously, you can probably tell. Um, <laughs> so what, what they have is um, it's a it's a, a traditional MBA program, but they've also got this this goal center for social entrepreneurship that um, is you know kind of the world world leader in social entrepreneurship, and they have this goal world forum there every year where top social entrepreneurs come. They have faculty who are are versed in in this area of social entrepreneurship, and just it's a really was a perfect place to be um, thinking about and incubating social businesses. In terms of the actual, what you studied and so forth, how much of it was specific to the social enterprise? And I guess what would be a few key insights that you had about being a social entrepreneur, skills you picked up on the course? So, so it was a range of things. Um, they, they did have a, a number of courses available for social entrepreneurship. Um, I actually ended up not taking too many because a lot of it was was stuff that I had sort of done and, and you know just throughout my career accidentally I didn't know it but but it was was things like running a, a business with a, a triple bottom line and, and working in the, in the intersection between for-profit and non-profit so I didn't take as many classes in that area but I, I certainly did a lot of I, I guess ambassadorship and that was that was sort of the point of the, the scholarship was to be working with people who'd come from a very traditional background banking or traditional business and starting to challenge um, some of the assumptions as we were going through our coursework around what does it mean to you know include things more than profit uh, in the bottom line how, how does one of these businesses differ from a traditional business um, and, and so a lot of that was that that was really uh, interesting dynamic that happened throughout the year but then some of the just very specific um, really sort of key courses that I took was you know entrepreneurial finance look learning about the basics of of how a, a business is set up and raising capital and all the sort of standard startup things that you need to learn. Um, there's a great course by Mark Fantresca. Um, I don't know how, how, how quite to call it, but it's almost like a business uh, 2.0, an understanding of business that goes beyond the, the dollars and numbers and starts to look at the real network um, theory behind, you know, where, where do ideas come from? Where does disruption come from? Where does innovation come from? How does um, an ecosystem like a San Francisco or a London, how do they um, create businesses? And what's the, what are the necessary uh, ingredients to create to create these new ideas? Um, right. So what would you say to somebody about uh, who's thinking of doing something like this? What would be the benefits that they would get? Uh, out of doing a social business? Yes, studying to do this at Oxford. Well, I mean, yeah. It, it was a really hard decision for me. I, I was pretty progressed in my career, had a lot of good things going, and um, I think for a lot of people where that's the case, you're kind of like, well, do I really want to take a year out and spend lots of money to go get a degree? Is it, is it really going to help me? I sort of feel like I know all this stuff, but um, what, what I quickly learned was that I didn't, didn't know anything, <laughs> and that, that 
this was a really important primer um, for going into business and extraordinarily viable. Um, and what it, what it really did for me was it helped um, sort of solidify what exactly is a business and what, what, is it, what does it mean to be in the world um, as a business and it put some structure around, around the, the kind of broad notions that I had of what I wanted to achieve. And then also gave me all the great contacts and amazing people to work with to flesh out, you know, not just the kind of um, uh, forward-facing, here's, here's what we do with the world, but what is the, what is the operational structure that needs to be behind a business? What is the, the team structure? What is the, the finances? How, does all the, how do all those kind of disciplines and pieces come together? So it was, you know, absolutely invaluable to, to both build the understanding and build the, the networks necessary to achieve that. Right, right. Sounds great. And when you finished, I suppose you must have uh, uh, lots of opportunities, um, lots of ideas at least about what you want to do, I suppose, working in larger organizations, working in a startup. How did you approach that? What was your thinking and what, what opportunities did you consider? Yeah, so I mean, I, I went into the MBA um, really trying to say, okay, I'm going to spend this time to look at banking, look at you know, VC, look at everything. Um, but what, what you kind of quickly realize is that you, there's just not nearly enough time in the day to to do every single thing. I mean, the, the, the challenge of an MBA is that you've got five things on your schedule at any given moment, and which of the five are you going to go to, um, which is a great, great uh, problem to have, but it forces you really quickly to say, to figure out what you're actually passionate about and what you care about. And so I think, you know, probably within the first uh, month and a half or two months, I had, I had stopped going to anything related to, you know, traditional um, big business or banking or, or finance and was very, very focused on the entrepreneurship uh, side of things. And, and there's just such a, a wealth of opportunity there. It was, I think, really fortunate that I did because I, w I wouldn't have gotten nearly as much out uh, trying to be too broad about it. So when you finished, had you already decided what you wanted to do? Did you, looking at other ideas with other people, were you talking to, how did you actually set up this business? the year I, I did everything I could really to entrepreneurship and ended up meeting a lot of amazing people and by the end of the MBA had actually was involved in three different ideas that had come out of business line competitions or um, you know different programs at the business school and so I had this kind of funny situation where there were three companies starting up and, and needed to needed um, needed to figure out how to how to how to decide between them or um, try to get them all to go and I, I opted to try to get them all to go at once which was Maybe a little bit aggressive um, uh, in hindsight, but but with, because there were such great teams around each one, we have managed to get all three up and running, and then that allowed me also to to say, okay, the, you know, this is the team that that is probably the idea closest to 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 my experience and what what I can add the most to, um, and so I was able to just pick one, and um, the rest of the teams could could uh, you know up there sort of roll in the others. Right. And with this idea, to what extent did you develop a very developed business plan with looking well into the future? To what extent did you adopt a more guerrilla approach? And what have you learned about that critical early stage? Yeah, so the, it, it's interesting. I took a class at NYU while I was living in New York um, about two years before the MBA, and it was in traditional you know, starting a business. And it was all about creating a detailed business plan and then raise money and follow it and you'll have a business. Um, during the MBA, we learned a very different approach, which is the, the lean startup model. Um, very popular out in Silicon Valley now, and it's much more about, you know, don't do a 
lots of planning. Planning is, is almost useless in a way. It's much more important to get out there and just start talking to people and start building your business as quickly as you possibly can. Um, you know, put out test products, put out, uh, do test conversations with customers, figure out exactly what people want. And then, retro, you know, after you've kind of determined that, then build your, your detailed business plan and go to investors. Um, and so that allows you to really reduce the, both the time and capital requirement um, of, of starting up um, and also gets you towards a product that is much more likely to be received by the market. And so that's, that's absolutely very much the approach we took with all, all the businesses of, of just really going very, very lean, getting out there, figuring out who's, who's willing to buy, who's willing to work with us, starting from that, and then building the, the kind of larger vision and business plan based on you know, our own thoughts and what we've learned in the market. So, you know, all the different hypotheses around what, what, a, what a customers want, what do they actually care about, what do they not care about, you know, what do they say they care about, but when it push comes to shove, to shove they, won't, they won't put money down for it. All that learning then is kind of after the fact put into the, into the business plan. Right, right. Well, it sounds like it's a, a very intensive uh, starting three businesses at the same time or being involved in three startups. Uh, you get, a, 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 I guess, a privileged insight into those challenges of those early days. And are there one or two things that you learned from this experience? If you were doing it again, for example, that you might do differently? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, mean I, I think we, we learned all the right we, we learned in theory, I think, all the right lessons in, in, in school, and I think it's to maybe apply them even faster and, and more diligently. So I think, you know, one of the big ones that they talk about, or Steve Blank um, talks about, uh, uh, is uh, get out of the building. And I think we, we tried to do that, but I think I would, you know, if I was to do it again, I would do that, you know, times five. <laughs> what do you mean? Just focus on every day, not, not being sitting in a room by a whiteboard or a computer trying to figure out what the business is going to be for myself, um, but really going out and talking to people and let let those conversations inform what the business will be and what's needed and what the market is like. So so don't you know as much as possible don't hide in your in your office or your or your coffee shop. But right, right. Know, talk to people. But I imagine that you could also get afraid. You could start thinking, I don't want to talk about this. Don't people know what we're doing? I, you know, I can imagine that you know when you're getting something off the ground, there's a lot of excitement. You want to do something a bit different, something new. There are probably some th- obstacles there as well that make you more cautious. What, what, what would you say to people who, who are saying, well, I, you know, I, I need to be a bit careful. You know, I've got a really special idea, and, and I don't want to, you know, tell people who are already in the market they're going to copy my idea and things like that. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's a lot of the. On, on how what you should do with your ideas, but the, the reality is, and I, a lot of, I, I'm not the first one to say this, but you'll, you'll have to tell a dozen people your idea before anyone will even not laugh at you or, or in their head sort of laugh at you about your idea. No one's going to hear your idea and then immediately go build it and steal it. Um, and, and in the meantime, by you not telling anyone your idea, you're missing out on all the insight and, and ideas that they can come back to you with and the great connections that they'll be able to say, oh, that's interesting, have you talked to this guy? Um, and that's that's really how you build the business. Yeah, yeah. People and telling people your idea. Uh, yeah, I guess people that's. Gonna a, steal it. Yeah, well, I guess that's in line with with the with the insight that it's not so much the idea, it's the execution of the idea. It's actually yeah. making it happen. That the you know ideas are to a penny in a way. It's actually building the the an organization or building the you know, skills and resources to actually implement it and implement it. And on that line.
and I'm wondering about getting people to help you, I suppose, and so forth. How has that been in terms of building a network for just people who, relationships with people who can be of help and who want to support you? I mean, how, how important is that and, and what have you done? I think it's uh, absolutely critically important. And I think this is a real, an area where social business has a, a maybe a competitive advantage against traditional business because because you have a social mission and you have a mission of not just making money but doing good, people seem to be, at least in my experience, even more willing to help you and more willing to, to come on board and, hey, you know, I don't exactly know what I'm doing with my life right now in between jobs, but, hey, I'll help you guys develop, you know, this, this aspect of your business or that one, or, hey, have you got connected with my friend um, who does this stuff? Um, I think, you know, that's, that's been really, really helpful um, for us. Um, are all these people just kind of who get fired up about the, the, the problem we're solving as much as the solution that we're proposing. Right. Um, and for us, we've done, I mean, as much as we can in networking. We're, we're based in East London, and there's, you know, no shortage of um, okay. networking events and all kinds of stuff in the area. Well, what about the uh, finance side of it and resourcing uh, the business financially? Yeah, so um, this has been really... Uh, awesome for us uh, to be in the UK. So, you know, a lot of people uh, ask me why, uh, having lived in San Francisco and come from San Francisco before school, why did I why did I stay in the UK and start my business here? And it's really because this is the, the, the government and the, the ecosystem here is really pushing really hard to get um, new businesses off the ground. So there's an immense amount of um, funding from the EU, from the, the UK government, and from various you know, agencies around. And we've been uh, very fortunate to have a lot of support and been able to tap into a lot of these streams. So we've got um, grants from everything from the European Space Agency to the EU uh, Climate uh, Kick Program to the UK Trade Investment um, Organization. Um, won some pitch prizes, all kinds of things, and we've been been lucky enough to be able to develop, um, you know, what, what would normally be you know quite quite challenging ideas to get funded without some some traction. I've been able to develop these over the last year with that funding and devote you know, our, our full energies to it. Right, right. That sounds very exciting. How do you do this? So someone's got an idea. You always hear of lots and lots of grants and monies, but often in in well in, in conventional business, and when you come to it, it's it proves to be a lot more difficult, or it's quite idiosyncratic. The terms, whether you fit into their particular program and so forth. What are two or three things that people should do who have an idea and want to try and you know raise some money? websites that are specifically helpful or I know when you start googling these things there's just so many things out there yeah there are um, so there's there's been a couple of websites that have come up in the startup community one is um, Unoodle um, which is either by F success or F success by Unoodle I, I can't recall exactly that's been pretty good um, the UK um, TSB website technology strategy where what's website has a lot of the UK based opportunities right and then other than that it is really you know, this is, again, one of those reasons you, you talk to people and tell 
about your idea. Yes. A lot of these things just come as you're talking to people. They say, oh, hey, by the way, did you hear about this thing? It's up your guy's alley. And we've had, you know, easily a third of our opportunities come to us that way. Right, right. That's, as that's you interesting. get funding and support, you tend to, a lot of the funding and support tends to come with, you know, additional communications and, and people sending you even more opportunities because they want to, if they funded you uh, even a little bit, they want you to succeed because that's, you know. Yes, yes, yes. And of course, the big challenge for any entrepreneur is getting clients. What have you learned? What kind of has been your approach to marketing? This has for sure been the, the, the hardest thing for us. And, and, you know, winning grants and all those things are great. But at the end of the day, you need to, you need to build a business. And um, this is where we, we probably still need the most help. All of our um, uh, companies are, are sort of one to three client companies yes. at the moment and needing to grow uh, substantially. Um, and yeah, it's been hard. I mean, I think the, the first thing we did was kind of reach out through all of our LinkedIn networks and personal networks. Um, probably made a lot of mistakes, but at least at least got a lot of good practice and made some good contacts there. And then beyond that, it's um, we found the most helpful thing to be really figuring out what it is exactly you're selling and who's going to care about it and getting as narrow as you can, despite all your instincts to want to sell to everybody in the world your brilliant solution, yes. getting as narrow as you can and testing those communities and reaching out um, yes. however you can, LinkedIn, directories, uh, etc. Yes, um, Tom Saki talked about a key way of looking at it was to make sure your product was competitive in every dimension, and that was a competitive product, and then the, the social entrepreneurship side of it or the environmental side of it, that's an add-on, but yeah. you've got to compete, you've got to be able to show the client that you know your price performance is as good, if not better, than any of your competitors. selling one of the greener products around. They're selling high-priced sports cars, and that's because they've been successful where a lot of other companies have failed because they it's just a better car, and they focus on that first. And then, by the way, hey, it happens to be electric and reduce total energy consumption by, by 50% or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Talking to social entrepreneurs, it's often something that I suppose in the early stages one is fired up with a vision and expect others to be the same. And but actually selling in the real world is very challenging. And uh, some people have said to me that they they think they you know the whole sales and marketing side is is more important than they ever really realised. Yeah, I think absolutely critical. And I think it's 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 actually a trap that a lot of um, social entrepreneurs I think fall into is to to put their mission almost too forward um, and maybe not in a, you know marketing that could go either way but just just in a sense of like as they're developing their business um, it, adding another element like adding a social element to your business makes it more complicated than doing a traditional business mm. and so you have to be a diff, but you know you, you can't neglect the fact that you're building a business um, at the same time that that business has to come first because you're and your your impact has to ride on top of that that business growth in a way. And then if, you know, ideally if you've really been creative and thought about it well, you've set it up so that they're, you know, they're self-reinforcing so that as you get more business, you make more impact. And as you make more impact, you get more business. But that really comes down to the, how do you set up your business model? How do you set up the, you know, the, the link between where you make money and where the impact comes from? 
Yeah, well, that's a really interesting question, I think, and it seems like it's a pretty broad church in terms of the whole social entrepreneurship area, in terms of whether you're for-profit, not-for-profit, whether you've got, you know, the intellectual property owned by one company and a for-profit arm and, and so forth. People I've spoken to seem to quite a few hybrid models emerging with people doing various kinds of, approaching in various different kinds of ways. Did you think about this question of whether for-profit, not-for-profit, and, and, and how we're going to set up and structure yourself, and, and what your guiding ideas there? Yeah, we absolutely did. We, we gave a lot of thought to it. Um, and I, I've, I've also worked in, you know, in my previous company was a for-profit company with a non-profit kind of latched on. Um, this is, we did this kind of, you know, kind of five, uh, seven years ago or whatever. Um, and, and it is becoming more common to do something like that. Um, so for, for us, I mean, it, I mean, one of, the, one of the things people I think often miss about nonprofits is that a nonprofit is still a business, just like a for-profit. The only real difference um, structurally between them is that you can't take profits out of a nonprofit and you can't take investment. And you, but on the flip side, you are able to get additional streams of, of revenue, um, donations and grants. Potentially, maybe a little bit easier. But I think one of the the big disadvantages of the nonprofit model is that scaling. Um, problem. Since you can't scale a business with private capital the way you can in a for-profit company, I think it can potentially constrain your impact. And so we we consciously chose a for-profit company such that we could get private capital. You know, Silicon Valley or London-based investors, just like any other internet business, and scale quickly and rapidly um, the way any any of those internet businesses can. And then on the back of that scaling, because we've we've set up the business to, to achieve, you know, a social aim, um, then the impact will scale as well as the business at the same time if we do it correctly. Oh, that sounds great, great idea. What about mentoring? I mean, you talked about working with people and making, reaching out to build relationships as you were doing your MBA. How important is that and the whole question of mentoring? Do you have a mentor? Do you think that's a good idea? Is it difficult? Yeah, absolutely good idea. And something, I mean, um, I'm, I'm actually looking out for right now is some additional mentors. Um, we've had some great support um, from our from our uh, investors slash accelerator, Oxygen um, Accelerator, and, and Simon uh, over there has been been great to us and really helpful. Um, but um, we're we're all sort of also hitting the the end of the very small stage and needing to to find some uh, mentors in our industry who have done the growth cycle and are, are bigger now. Um, and you know, so it can almost be aspirational uh, guide, guidance or guideposts for us uh, as, as we grow and scale. So I think it's yeah, it's incredibly helpful. And you know, um, a lot of the the tech community here is very very generous with their their time. And we've been able to talk to entrepreneurs who've made it, who've made it and failed, or made it and you know uh, had all these kind of challenges come up to, uh, to them. And that's really helpful for us because we can look out for that and, and not need to make the same mistakes. Right. Right, that's very interesting, very interesting. Uh, excellent, that's been a really fascinating discussion and I think there's lots of good points there for people at various stages of the social entrepreneurial journey and thank you for that, Michael. And I wish you the very best of luck with your three businesses. Thank you again. Yeah, thanks very much. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.